0: I'm Jim Cuno, president of the J. Paul Getty Trust. Welcome to Art and Ideas, a podcast in which I speak to artists,
1: conservators, authors, and scholars about their work. I would not say that Vasari invented the Renaissance, but I would say that he probably invented art history. In this episode, I speak with
0: Getty Museum Paintings curator Davide Gasparato about the lives of three Renaissance artists Giovanni Bellini, Raphael and Michelangelo. Giorgio Vasari, although a Florentine painter of great distinction, is perhaps best known today for his Lives of the Most Excellent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects from Chimabui to our times, first published in 1550. Vasari's lives, as they are called, are rightly considered the foundation of art historical writing. Even today, one reads them for pleasure and edification and no course in Renaissance art is complete without them. I recently sat down with Davide Gasparato, Senior Curator of Paintings at the Getty Museum, to discuss three of Vasari's lives, those of Italian artists Giovanni Bellini, Raphael, and Michelangelo. These writings have recently been published by Getty Publications in a new series of biographies called Lives of the Artists, which extends far beyond the Renaissance. Over the next few months, I will be talking with Getty Museum curators about different lives in the series including those of Rembrandt, Rodin, Manet, Van Gogh, and more. But we begin where we should, with Vasari's Lives of Bellini, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Davide, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. The Lives were published first in the first edition in 1550. I'm interested in the circumstances of their publication. Were they published under the patronage of a particular person, the Medici, for example, and, and were they an instant
1: success, or how long did it take before they became success? I think they were a big success. As you said, they were published in 1550. They were published all at once. There was a publisher that was uh, from Florence, Lorenzo Torrentino. That's why we call this edition, the first edition, the Torrentiniana in Italian, the Torrentinian edition. And they were two volumes with uh, 128 lives and they were all lives of uh, dead artists artists which were already except michelangelo dead the only living artist which was included is michelangelo yeah. and uh, vasari started very early on to be interested in collecting materials about uh, artists But he really started more seriously during the 1540s when he was working in Rome. And he was working for a very important patron at the time, Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, who was the nephew of the Pope of the moment, uh, Paul III. And uh, in the circle of Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, Vasari met uh, an historian, Paolo Giovio, who encouraged Vasari in this uh, enterprise of collecting information about artists and this idea of publishing a series of biographies.
0: Can I ask you how? Yes. what kind of information he collected? How did he collect it, from whom, or in what uh, format did he, he collect it?
1: He collected information from previous uh, uh, literary sources. He collected information from artists themselves, and he... In his many travels, he saw many works of art in churches, and uh, so he 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 had several type of sources, and uh, so he was encouraged by these Farnese circles, and at the end he was able to publish the lives in 1550, and. He decided to dedicate the lives to the Duke of Florence, Cosimo I de' Medici, even if at the time he was not employed by the Medici. And so it was a sort of an act that he did because he wanted to gain the support and friendship of the Duke. And in fact, he succeeded because uh, in 1554, four years after the publication of the Lives, he was basically hired by Cosimo de' Medici as a court artist. And he became for the following uh, 20 years, the main uh, I would say, court artist of uh, uh, Cosimo I de' Medici.
0: So when these were published, were there booksellers at the time?
1: What was the size of the edition? Do we know that there were Uh, hundreds? Yeah, I think there were hundreds. And uh, we know that it was a success because uh, soon afterward, Vasari started to think uh, to a second edition of the lives. So he continued to collect information. He did other important trips. Uh, Vasari was widely traveled. You know, after his sort of training in Florence, he traveled a lot until the 1550s when he was more Based in Florence, but he traveled a lot. He lived in Rome, he worked in Naples, he worked in Northern Italy. And especially after the publication of the first edition, when he started to think to a second edition of The Lives, he traveled twice in Italy, in Central Italy and in Northern Italy, especially in Lombardy and in Venice, to collect information. And in the second edition of The Lives, he greatly enlarged the number of the biographies. He included also other living artists, so not only Michelangelo. And he also included a very important feature, which was really influential even later on. He included portraits of the artists themselves that were engraved in sealographies, so woodcuts, And also for the portraits, he had to collect uh, a lot of information to get uh, portraits, real portraits of the artists, obviously for the artists of the first period, the 14th century, because he starts with Cimabue, so he starts with the life of a painter who lived in the late 13th century. The portraits are mostly invented or made up, But the feature of the portraits is very important, I think.
0: So you said that there were precedents before the 1550 edition models for him to use, um, but there were also antique precedents, like Plutarch's biographies of the notable lives of the Romans and Greeks. Did he know of Plutarch and was Plutarch well known at the time?
1: I think uh, you know Vasari was uh, uh, very well educated he was born in Arezzo you no know, in 1511 there was a humanist that was very influential humanist from Arezzo Giovanni Pollastra who was very influential in his education so he was pretty literate as an artist he knew for sure the uh, classical Uh, models, the models of the classical antique biography. I'm sure he knew about Plutarch, the lives of the, you know, noble Greeks and Romans, but probably he knew also uh, the lives of the philosophers by Diogenes Laertius. He obviously knew Uh, the widespread models for the biographies of the rulers, the Roman emperors, Suetonius. So he knew the classical precedents. And he knew also about sort of the revival of the biographical genre, which took place already in the 15th century. And... uh, especially for military men or rulers. But also there is an important precedent that we know that Vasari knew that was the life of Filippo Brunelleschi, the great Florentine architect of the early 15th century, which was published by a humanist, Florentine humanist, Antonio Manetti. And Vasari knew for sure this source. Uh, Davide, give us an idea of how the lives are organized. The lives of Vasari, there is... This biographical model behind them. But the structure of the book is more complex. And it's a very interesting structure because we don't have only a series of biographies of artists from Cimabue, late. 13th century to Vasari's own time, so to Michelangelo, who was still living. But also, there is a very important preface, uh, which is called Proemio to the Lives, where in some way Vasari's set up the stage with a more theoretical introduction. And then there are technical introductions to the three arts architecture sculpture and painting. And then Vasari divided up uh, the biographies in three main periods. So he sort of reconstructs uh, the history of art from the early 14th century to his own time, uh, dividing up in three moments, which uh, for him represent three moments of progress in the arts. And the first moment corresponds roughly to the 14th century. So from Giotto to the end of the 14th century, Giotto is the great renewer of the arts. Then the second period starts at the beginning of the 15th century with the, again a great moment of change in the arts with the Uh, artists such as Masaccio, Donatello, and Brunelleschi. And it's the period that now we call the early Renaissance. And then the third great moment for Vasari is the moment represented by artists such as Leonardo, uh, Raphael, Michelangelo, Titian, which he uh, defines as the maniera moderna, the modern manner. is the art of his own time, And and in these three periods, he sees an evolution, a progress in the arts. Uh, He obviously for Vasari, the progress in the arts is represented by more naturalism, the ability of the artist to capture the truth of nature. And so behind uh, this incredible architecture, complex architecture of the book, There is a classical source also, which is uh, Pliny the Elder's Natural History, where Pliny, in the first century after Christ, describes in three books uh, of the natural history, the books from 34 to 36 of the natural history, he describes the evolution of the art in antiquity. Starting from you know the Greeks and going to the Romans, and he sees this evolution as a sort of a biological evolution where there is a birth, there is a growth, a maturity. When the art attains a sort of a perfection, and then there is uh, an old age, so there is a, a period of decadence, and this biological model is the model that is behind also the structure of Vasari's life in some way, and so the his evolution starts with Giotto, which is sort of the birth, then there is uh, a progress, which is represented by. You know, Masaccio, Donatello, and Brunelleschi. And then there is an acme, there is a peak, which is represented by the art of his own time and especially by Michelangelo.
0: Okay, so there's clearly a structure to the book that that he published in 1550, in two volumes, and it was based on classical sources. Uh, There was also an intellectual debate at the time over the values between Florentine painting and Venetian painting. He championed the Florentine, the intellectual and and analytical, over the natural that was identified as the Venetian style. He championed the disegno over the colore, colore being the, the color uh, that was championed by Venice. There was also some uh, alternative writer who was championing Venice over Florence, and that was Pietro Arentino. Uh, tell us more about that debate and tell us what is already knew about Arentino's writing and championing the of, of mm-hmm. Venetian painting.
1: Yes. First of all, we have to say that uh, really the cornerstone of Vasari's conception of art was the concept and the role of disegno or drawing. But yes, but disegno in Italian is, especially in this moment in the 16th century, is not only drawing, the physical art of draw, but is also, we have to understand it also uh, with the modern concept in some way of design, So with uh, stressing the importance of the invenzione, as in Italian, of the invention. So the ability to draw was also the ability to invent, to conceive complex compositions. And Disegno is the theoretical foundation of Vasari's vision of art. And this is also why Michelangelo is so important for him, because Michelangelo in some way uh, encompasses in his own personality and in his own uh, artistic activity the three concepts together because he was able to draw and so he was at the same time an architect, a painter and a sculptor. In comparison to Florence, the situation in Venice is different uh, because disegno drawing in Venice was not as important as in Florence in training. We don't want to say that in Venice... Uh, Uh, the artists were not able to draw because we have drawings by major Venetian artists of the 16th century like Titian and Pordenone and Lorenzo Lotto but uh, sometimes artists just sketched and they directly draw into the canvas and then the color was uh, uh, more important and so Pietro Aretino was from Arezzo like Vasari so they knew each other they were friends actually because when Vasari went to Venice in 1541, he went to Venice because Aretino summoned him to Venice to paint the uh, scenes, the scenography for one of his plays, L'Atalanta. And uh, what the Florentines were stressing is that their ability to draw was also the ability, for example, to create a very convincing foreshortening of the figures, so all the tricks that are associated with a good draftsmanship. While the emphasis in Venice was more colore, was more color. But this was a debate that lasted for the century. And uh, uh, we know that Vasari's position is probably the same position of Michelangelo, for whom also drawing was sort of the foundation of art. Uh, Because when uh, Titian, the great Venetian painter, uh, went to Rome in 1545, invited uh, from the Pope, Paul III, he painted this famous painting, the Danae. And uh, Uh, Michelangelo saw this painting by Titian and uh, Vasari reports that Michelangelo said that uh, if Titian would have been uh, such a good draftsman as he was a good painter, he would have been the greatest of the possible artists. But for Michelangelo, Titian lacked in some way in drawing ability. And so uh, there was really this competition. And uh, obviously, writers from Venice uh, always praised the the Venetian capacity to evoke atmosphere, to evoke uh, nature, and to evoke the sensuality in some way of the human figure and nature through color. And The Florentine were stressing more the importance of a correct, in some way, draftsmanship. Okay, we'll get to Venetian paintings soon, but let's
0: start with Florentine painting. We have three lives to look at. Two of the lives are Florentine painters, Raphael and Michelangelo, and the third life uh, is uh, Giovanni Bellini, a a Venetian painter. But uh, so let's start with Raphael. Tell us about Raphael's career. And tell us how Vasari characterized Raphael's career. How did he place Raphael in the pantheon of painters? Mm -hmm.
1: We already said that uh, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo were for Vasari the greatest painter of his own time. They were the opener of the modern manner, of the maniera moderna. And in particular, Raphael represented for Vasari... A very, very important model for his own, in some way, career. So his image of Raphael is extremely positive. Uh, he obviously praised Raphael as a painter, as an architect, as especially in the phase of Raphael's career when Raphael was in Rome as a great expert of antiquities. And he praised also Raphael's good manners uh, and his sort of uh, being a perfect courtier, we can say. And this in some way in comparison to the more rough and uh, less sociable character of Michelangelo. But for Vasari, Raphael represented a very important model, especially in the late phase of Raphael's career when Raphael was working in Rome Uh, at the beginning for Pope Julius II and then for Pope Leo X, Raphael managed a large workshop and he was able to undertake very complex uh, projects uh, all at the same time. So he managed to paint uh, in the famous Tanze in the Vatican. He managed to uh, provide the drawings for the famous tapestries for the Sistine Chapels with the Acts of the Apostles. He was able to paint altar pieces. He was able to paint in the villa of Agostino Chigi, the famous Farnesina where Raphael painted some frescoes and he was able to plan the famous study of the ruins of Rome under the patronage of Pope Leo X. So he was really able to manage a workshop where he was sort of providing his assistants and his pupils with his ideas, with his drawings, but then he was executing few of these works and he was sort of uh, assigning the different tasks of uh, really uh, executing the works of art themselves to his pupils. So Vasari admired hugely and deeply this uh, sort of entrepreneurial quality of Raphael because in some way he was seeing these as something that he was aspiring to be. And it, it was actually what later on Vasari became. Vasari became the great entrepreneur, the great impresario, the great director of all the artistic endeavors for Cosimo I, the Duke of Florence.
0: And this is something uh, that Michelangelo didn't do. He didn't pursue a big workshop like that. So how did they hold intention the qualities of Raphael and the qualities of Michelangelo at the time? H- how was it that someone could be valued as a great entrepreneur and a great manager of a workshop, or on the other hand, a great individual genius like Michelangelo? Yeah.
1: I think, you know, it's, with, with these, we, we don't have to say that Raphael was not a great individual genius. He was a great individual genius. His autograph works of art are of an um, unparalleled quality. They are unbelievably accomplished. I think that for Vasari, in some way, Raphael um, represented a type of courtier artist that he was uh, aspiring to be. Uh, He was also representing a type of artist, I would say, profoundly different from Michelangelo in the sense that Raphael was a great uh, assimilator. Raphael was a, a painter who was able to absorb from other artists an important lesson and to make a new step in his own career. So in this respect, Raphael is a little bit like Giovanni Bellini. He was absorbing the lesson at the beginning of Perugino, then of what was happening in Florence with Leonardo and Michelangelo himself. And then later on also he was looking at Michelangelo and, you know, absorb the lesson of these artists and making his own in a new way. When we look at the paintings by Raphael that Vasari singles out as examples of
0: the greatness of the painter, uh, are there any surprises? That is, do we today value the very same paintings that Vasari valued of Raphael's? Or are there some that we value more than Vasari did? I'm trying to get a sense of how strong and lasting the canon is and what role Vasari played in establishing the canon of Raphael's paintings.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, Vasari sort of praises the same paintings we praise today. Some of the great uh, Madonnas by Raphael painted in the Florentine period, obviously the Vatican Stanze and um, the Madonna Sistina, for example, one of the greatest altar pieces by Raphael, and, or the Transfiguration, the last important project by Raphael. Um, probably what modern research did is to look more deeply into... Uh, the collaborative aspects in Raphael's workshop. So what uh, in in certain projects, which is the extent, I would say, in certain projects of the role of the collaborators, of the workshop's assistant of Raphael. But for example, the tapestries, the great endeavor of the tapestries was highly praised by Vasari and is still something we admire a lot. So I think uh, Vasari covers a great deal of the production of Raphael and for us the works that were important for him are still important for us. The same we can say for Michelangelo. Probably Vasari was not sort of an admirer of uh, Michelangelo's character and uh, his sort of uh, solitary attitude who uh, was uh, remote from Vasari's uh, mentality and attitude. But he was obviously admiring enormously Michelangelo because of his uh, achievements as an artist. And we have to say that yeah, Michelangelo is a completely different artist than Raphael. Raphael was a genius that was able to absorb from the others and make the lesson of the others his own. Michelangelo is a sort of a Minerva that comes out from the head of Jupiter, already fully formed, and his obsessions, his figurative obsessions, they start since he is young and they go along. Throughout his whole life, and his great obsession, as we know, was the representation of the human body and so Michelangelo's career is all a sort of a meditation, a, a going back and forth to, and it turns all around the representation of the human body, you know so it's a more monolithical than than Raphael and I think Vasari was sort of uh, aware of this. Mm. I want
0: to give our listeners a, a taste of the sort of style of Vasari as a writer, and it's easy to look at the life of Raphael for this. So so he said of Raphael, he said, Heaven endowed him with the power of showing a disposition quite contrary to that of most painters. For the artists who worked with Raphael, not only the poor ones, but those who aspired to be great, and there are many such in our profession, lived united in harmony all their evil humors disappearing when they saw him and every vile and base thought deserting their mind. He was so full of kindness that even animals liked him. Is that a particular rhetorical device that he's using there? They're kind of telling about how nice a man he was and how people loved him and even animals loved him.
1: Uh, is, is he relying on prior rhetorical uh, <laughs> examples for that? I think, uh, you know, I think that obviously there is a rhetorical device here. And uh, we know today that uh, uh, Vasari also himself was sort of relying on more experienced writer and literati for uh, his own you know, language for his own drafts of the lives. So there is obviously a rhetorical device here, but we have to say that uh, w- there are many sources prior to Vasari that uh, emphasize the good character of Raphael, his kindness, his openness. Uh, and so I think there is a truth behind this sort of vision of Raphael as a very nice man or very nice, very sociable person. He was very good in dealing with his patrons uh, and with his clients. Uh, on the other side, we have to say that uh, Vasari, both in Raphael's life and Michelangelo's lives, in some way doesn't tell all the truth about, for example, the relationship between the two artists. Because uh, uh, we know that for sure, Raphael admired Michelangelo and he even portrayed him as an homage in the famous fresco in the Stanze Vaticane, the School of Athens, where he portrays Michelangelo as an ancient philosopher. But we know also that there was a fierce, strong, uh, competition between them when they were in Rome. So when Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Ceiling and Raphael was painting the Stanze, Raphael was protected, strongly protected by Bramante, the famous architect, the architect of the new Basilica of St. Peter. But the two, there was no sympathy. There was no friendship between them. And actually there was a strong competition. And in some way, at some point, Michelangelo used in some way against Raphael, another painter, Sebastiano del Piombo, the Venetian painter who came to work in Rome. And he provided Sebastiano with drawings for paintings that were executed as a sort of in competition with Raphael. There is a famous case, which is also retold by Vasari in, in Raphael's life that when Cardinal Giulio de' Medici, the nephew of Pope Leo X, commissioned to Raphael and Sebastiano del Piombo two paintings and the Transfiguration and the Resurrection of Lazarus and uh, Obviously, Sebastiano was helped by Michelangelo, who provided him with some drawings because Michelangelo really wanted Sebastiano to sort of uh, triumph against Raphael. So the the relationship between the two artists were, were really very competitive.
0: You've already said that Michelangelo was the only artist in the lives Uh, who was living at the time the first edition came out. Yes. And so what did it mean or how influential was it upon Vasari that Michelangelo, the man he was writing about, was actually alive and would be reading what he wrote?
1: Yes. We have to remember that uh, there was an enormous aura surrounding Michelangelo when he was still living. In 1532, for the first time, his... uh, labelled as divine by the famous poet Ludovico Ariosto in his Orlando Furioso. So, you know, already in 1532, Michelangelo was divine as he was later on in Vasari's life. Obviously, it was not easy to write about Michelangelo living. And we actually know that Michelangelo was not happy with Vasari's life because he was still, you know, he he read, obviously, immediately the the lives and his own life. He was not happy because, for example, Vasari writes in Michelangelo's Life that Michelangelo was uh, apprenticed to Domenico Ghirlandaio, the famous Florentine painter, when he was young. And uh, basically Michelangelo commissioned in some way to one of his pupils and friend, Ascanio Condivi, a biography of himself, a biography which came out three years after Vasari's life in 1553 to correct, to the correct, correct <laughs> what Michelangelo thought to be mistakes in Vasari's life. And for example, in Condivi, there is a sort of a denial of the fact that Michelangelo was. Uh, uh, e più pilove ghirlandaio instead he said that Michelangelo as a very young boy was discovered by Lorenzo il Magnifico and then Lorenzo the Magnificent uh, um, hosted him in his famous garden of San Marco where he was looking at an antique sculpture where he was working with the house sculpture of uh, Lorenzo il Magnifico Bertoldo uh, and so Condivi hides uh, the training of Michelangelo but he, obviously this was something Made up because we know that Vasari was right. And in fact, it's very interesting in the 1568 edition of the life of Michelangelo, Vasari produces a document that uh, attests the fact that Michelangelo was in fact in the workshop of Girlandai, who was working in the workshop of Girlandai. And he found this document in these famous researches. And it's really an archival document. So it's one of the first cases in art history, I think, of the use of an archival document to prove something. And So it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, Michelangelo was not really totally happy with Vasari's uh, life of himself.
0: Now, now let's get to Bellini, yeah, so we can get to a Venetian painter. Um, you edited this book uh, on, on Bellini, uh, and so you know intimately about the life of Bellini and how, how it's cast by Vasari. How many Venetian painters are included in the lives uh, that Vasari wrote, and why did you choose Bellini? Uh,
1: so, yes, we have to say that there are several uh, Venetian artists in Vasari's lives. There are more Venetian artists in the second edition of The Lives, the one published in 1568, but obviously uh, Bellini, actually we have to say the Bellini because the life of Bellini is not just the life of Giovanni Bellini but it's also a collective life of members of the Bellini family because the Bellinis were a family of artists Uh, the father of Giovanni Jacopo was the most important Venetian artist of the early 15th century and then he had two sons, one was Giovanni, the other one was Gentile and so the life is a sort of a collective life and obviously Vasari chose the Bellini because they were the most important uh, family of artists working in Venice in the 15th century and in particular Giovanni was widely considered the greatest Venetian painter of the second half of the 15th century and so it was natural to include a life of the Bellini in his own book but uh, obviously when it comes to information, the lives of, I would say, northern Italian painters by Vasari are very important for us today, but they are obviously less precise than the lives of Florentine or, I would say, of central Italian painters. Vasari was collecting information, but I think he was more successful with lives, especially of Florentine painters. So sometimes there are, you know, things that then are wrong, or sometimes there is uh, chronologies messed up. So they they are important lives, a great source for the reconstruction of the career of these artists, but they are in some way less precise, Uh, even if Vasari traveled several times to Venice and he knew the works, the paintings, he collected information. In this case, in this book that you've edited uh,
0: for the life of Bellini, you include two other lives, not by Vasari, but by Carlo
1: Ridolfi and Marco Boschini. 17th century authors. Mm -hmm. Carlo Ridolfi was a painter and Marco Boschini also was a painter, but also an engraver and uh, a dealer also in paintings. So how differently did they see Bellini 100 years after or 50 years after
0: Vasari's arm?
1: We should say, first of all, that Vasari represented a very important model for uh, later biographers. So the the lives, they really became a model. So many lives of artists published in the 17th century, like the lives published by Giovanni Pietro Bellori, all the lives of the Bolognese painters by Carlo Cesare Malvasia, the lives of Florentine artists by Baldinucci, all lives published in the 17th century were very much influenced by Vasari, even uh, books and bio- artist biographies published in Northern Europe were strongly influenced by Vasari. You know, uh, as early as 1572, a Northern humanist, Domenicus Lampson, published a sort of a series of biographies of Flemish artists and then Later on in 1604, Karel van Mander published a series of biographies of northern artists. Was this in
0: part because it was good business now? I think so. The because, I, sort of established I, I a think because there
1: was an interest. There was an interest also in uh, publishing books on artists uh, uh, from other places than Florence. And uh, obviously there were collectors, there were amateurs which were interested in this kind of books. And actually, Ridolfi, for example, these lives uh, that he published of Venetian painters were a sort of a Venetian response to Vasari, sort of one century later, to praise many Venetian artists that, in the opinion of Ridolfi, were not too much praised or too much uh, admired by Vasari. And the biography of Ridolfi is important because there are a lot of information, especially about paintings by Bellini, which at the time were in private hands because Ridolfi knew a lot about of the collections in Venice. So he mentions a lot of paintings which at the time were in private hands. Not in which Vasari would have seen? Which Vasari didn't, didn't know. So it's a good source of information. Uh while Boschini, I think Marco Boschini is a very different case, because Ridolfi is more factual. He gives us some dates, in some way, informations. But Boschini is different. The book of Boschini is not a collection of biographies. It's it's a poem. It's written in Venetian dialect. It's a poem on painting. It's called Carta del Navegar Pittoresco, which we can translate as Map of Pictorial Navigation. And it's a sort of a history of Venetian painting in verse. And it's a fascinating book. It's uh, beautifully written. And what Characterizes Boschini is that Boschini is not so interested in uh, in the precision of description or saying where the paintings are or in you know analytical information, but he is interested in capturing the aura, it's capturing the style, it's capturing the characters of the different artists. So his characterization of Bellini is. Uh, profoundly sympathetic. It's very beautiful the way in which he captures, for example, Bellini's attention to nature and uh, his religious uh, subjects. And so I think it's a sort of a different category of uh, critical appraisal of the artist.
0: You also include in, in your edition of The Life of Bellini a correspondence with the great patron of the arts from Mantua, Isabella d'Este, these are letters written by and about Bellini and the paintings that she commissioned from him. How important is that
1: correspondence and, and and what does it add to the life of uh, Bellini that Vasari wrote? Uh, I think the, Correspondence with Isabella d'Este, it's a fascinating document because first of all, it adds in some way the personal voice of the artist. The artist was still living. This correspondence involves him directly. And uh, it's rare to have... uh, such a precise correspondence between a patron and an artist and some intermediaries because in this case there are also some intermediaries some agents of Isabella who were in Venice and they are sort of uh, writing back and forth with the marchioness to inform her about the progress of the commission and sometimes we really sort of hear the voice of Bellini himself and there is a particular passage I really sort of uh, love and I think it's very important in this correspondence and it is when the great poet Pietro Bembo who was a friend of Isabella but also a friend of Bellini he writes to Isabella about the painting that she wanted to commission from Bellini and she wanted one of these elaborate allegories that she was fond of and Bembo writes to Isabella I have been with Bellini recently and he is very well disposed to serve your excellency as soon as the measurements of the canvas are sent to him. But the invention which you tell me I am to find for his drawing must be adapted to the fantasy of the painter. He does not like to be given many written details which cramp his style. His way of working, as he says, is always to wander at will in his pictures so that they can give satisfaction to himself as well as to the beholder. So it's very interesting because I think this is probably one of the first really statement about artistic freedom in some way in the history of art because the painter is saying that he doesn't want too many stipulations to limit his fantasy, his style, he wants to paint, he wants as he says to wander at will in paintings. So it's like that here we are hearing the direct voice of Bellini, hearing one of his conversations with Pietro Bembo the great poet. So I think the value of this correspondence is really great because we are uh, witnessing a real conversation between uh, the painter and the patron. Yeah. So we, we gathered this afternoon to talk about uh, the
0: lives as written by Vasari, the lives of the artists. The art historian Pat Rubin begins her important book on Vasari with a bold statement that Georgia Vasari invented Renaissance art. Yeah, what do you think of that?
1: I don't think uh, uh, really that Vasari invented uh, Renaissance art. I think since uh, I would say we find the concept of Renaissance or at least the idea that at some point Art was rebirth, that uh, there was a new uh, flowering of art. We found this concept uh, in earlier sources than Vasari. I think that we already found this concept in early 15th century sources like the autobiography of the great Florentine sculptor Lorenzo Ghiberti. And we find this concept uh, in uh, the book on painting uh, published in 1535 by Leon Battista Alberti, the great architect. So the idea that uh, there was a, a new beginning is already present in earlier sources than Vasari. But I think that what really Vasari did, he invented art history because his biographies are, the first history of art, you know, we saw based also on antique, on classical precedents, but they are really the first history of art where one person, sort of one writer, examines. Uh, the development of the art in a certain period. He examines the individual styles of the artist. He examines their careers, their achievement, their works. He describes their work. So I think that uh, I would not say that Vasari invented the Renaissance, but I would say that he probably invented art history. Davide, thank you for your time this afternoon on, on the podcast. And thank you for your
0: contribution to this book project that we have here at the Getty of looking at the lives of artists. These three, uh, as written by Vasari, but then other artists' uh, lives written by other art historians later, they're beautifully produced, uh, not only in the quality of reproductions that are included in them, but in the size and scale of the books that you can stick them in your pocket and take a train to Florence as you seek to look at the work of Raphael Michelangelo or go to Venice and see the work of Giovanni Bellini. Um, But so, thank you so much for what you've done for this project, and thank you for time on the
1: podcast. Thank you very much, Jim. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Our theme
0: music comes from The Dharma at Big Sur, composed by John Adams for the opening of the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles in 2003. It is licensed with permission from Hendon Music. Look for new episodes of Art and Ideas every other Wednesday. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. For photos, transcripts, and other resources, visit getty.edu podcasts. Thanks for listening.